Good afternoon, planet Earth. Good afternoon to all the separate realms of Boblimtok. Good afternoon to the Region 6 freaks and the other people running for their lives outside of the old stadium. You live near the barbed wire. You live in that cubby hole not far from the dumpster. You feed on Grinkus Rat. You feed on Dead Old Bat. You find a dog someplace wandering in the night. You feed on the cat. You feed on the raccoon. You feed on the baboon. Escape from the zoo. Yes, it is Sunday. I believe it is June the 19th, is it not? Let's double check. It's Boblimtok time. It's Sunday. June the 19th, if you can believe it. Right around 1 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. And we're just here, just thinking about the world in Utah, in the terms of Utah, the terms that we can understand in this life here. And there's death everywhere. People always die, babies are born. Kings and queens lose their kingdoms and their queendoms. Empires collapse. Presidents, you know, disappear. Democracies fail. But Jesus is always there for you, buddy. It's kind of like what R.J. McCready says in The Thing. You know, the film The Thing, John Carpenter? At that, he says a couple things. A couple things he says in that movie, not necessarily at the same point, but there are two things that come out of that film that are worth remembering. One is, <laughs> you know, if you can't trust anybody, you can always trust in the Lord, basically. You know, you trust in the Lord. Trust in Jesus. That's the first thing I think is good advice right now. Trust in Jesus. Uh, trust in the Lord. Doesn't mean you wait for the Lord to solve your problems. Actually, the Lord in heaven gave you a brain that you can use to solve problems. But it does mean that when you find yourself unable to trust anybody, at least you can trust in Jesus. But the other thing they said is, now is a good time to start eating out of cans. And maybe those are two good things to be thinking about, right? Yes, you can trust in the Lord, and now is a good time to eat out of cans. <laughs> and I don't know if you should eat out of cans. Of course, in the film The Thing, 
they're worried about any particle, any piece, any cell, any detritus, any part of the thing getting into your food because then you might become the thing and that's that's pretty messed up. Your head pops off, it grows little crab legs. You end up consuming a bunch of dogs and those dog heads pop out. The point is, whatever kind of space crabs the thing is, you don't want it. So trust in the Lord and eat out of cans. <laughs> we should all eat out of cans now. Yeah, I don't even know if that's gonna be an option in five years. I just don't know. I think that there are things going on that are way beyond the control of any of us. And it's easy to be overwhelmed and it's easy to get depressed. I suffer from depression. For me, it's a simple trip, you know. A, a bad thought, a bad day, a bad moment, and I can get pretty depressed. But I've also figured out how to get undepressed. And that's not always easy, but there's a way to do it. One way to lower your anxiety and ergo also impact your depression is to recognize that there's a whole bunch of shit you're just not going to do anything about. You can worry about them, you can stress about them, you can stare into the darkness and say, oh my god, Putin, the monkey herpes, BLM, Antifa, the gender wars, Biden, Trump, January, you know, stop right there. You don't even know how real any of this is. You don't. I don't. You don't have a good source of information. If you, I read the New York Times. If you read the New York Times, then you have the opposite of a good source of information. So you don't have one. Okay? None of us do. Right now, at this point in human history, in the United States of Boblimtok, the most accurate news you're going to find is the news you discover with your eyes and your ears, with your smell and your touch. It is the world around you. Everything else is being managed. Now, I may not know why, and you may not know why. Okay, it's like Australia. I've had two versions, a tale of two Australias since 2020. The version the news gives you of a horrid dystopia where everyone's shut down, and the version I get from primary sources that are not part of the system. And that version is not the everyone is shut down and living in a dystopia. So you tell me which version is true. In August of 2020, I was looking across the street, and a couple of the police cops, LARPing as BLM, set fire to a dumpster and a Katrina trailer. And then the Guardian, like a couple hours later, the Guardian, you know, that online honest journal, and I'm pretty certain all the, the newspapers, the New York Times and Newsweek said the same thing. They said the King County Prison for Children was on fire. Well, that's total freaking bullshit. And I saw that with my own eyes. I could rectify the inconsistency between the bullshit in the media and what I could see with my own fucking eyes. Same thing applies to the COVID monkey herpes. Same thing applies to Chazchopia. What I could check with my own eyes was pretty much the fucking opposite. What I could check with my own experience, actually going there and seeing for myself. So I don't know why they're mind-fucking us any more than you do. I do not know why they've engaged in military psychological warfare at this scale for more than two years now any more than you do. 
You have a theory, your theory might be better. Here's my baseline theory. It definitely involves the collapse of the dollar empire and probably involves the collapse of the federal authority. Does that mean that we're going to have a civil war? No, I think it's way more likely that everybody kind of wakes up one day and just starts doing their own shit, which means that localities will take care of business and to the extent that anybody living in any state, whether it's Utah or Texas or California, wants to respect their own capital, it'll take the same course. I don't think there's going to be a civil war. I don't think there's the desire for it. I don't think there's the energy for it. I don't think the feds have the ability to do it. And you can quote me all the FEMA camp, Alex Jones, they got two billion rounds bullshit. They do not have the juice. Okay, I've been saying this for two years and this has gotten me chased off of a bunch of platforms to include GoDaddy. President Biden is the mayor of Washington, D.C. All they have now are fear campaigns. They can scare you about your guns. They can scare you about food. They can scare you about the Russians. They can scare you about gender wars and critical race theory. They can occupy your brain and take over your consciousness. And they can have you renting it out for, for really cheap. But they can't actually do any of the things they're threatening. They can't. They won't. They can't. It's over. Best case scenario, and I'm talking to you, Boomer, and I don't mean the dog. I mean the demographic. Best case scenario, your Social Security, your Medicare, your Medicare, you know, Medicare, not Medicaid, because that's just for poor people, right? All that stuff, the pensions, the 401ks, it's over. It may not be over tomorrow, but it's done. And the sooner you come to grips with that, the better for you and the people you love. But I can't control the random boomer, and I literally don't give a fuck. That is one of the ways I handle the anxiety of all this shit. This stuff that's happening, the unstuckness of history, involves so much pent-up energy, even using terms like energy seems inappropriate. Like... They developed a measure for magnetic field power called a Tesla in honor of Tesla, but Teslas were just so fucking big, you needed a word for it. A Tesla. A Tesla of magnetic force. We would have to come up with a name to describe how much energy is built up in the system at this point. Social energy, cultural energy, energy in the ecosystem, which we will talk about a little bit later. But the point is, this is so far beyond you and I that spending any time at this point trying to say, how do we stop it? You can't stop it. Okay, there's going to be no voting. Stop stressing about the voting. The voting is pointless. It really is. If it ever had a purpose other than threatening your fucking neighbor in the most passive-aggressive way possible, that is done. The voting is done. The parties are done. It, the party is over. If you rent out your brain to the deep state and you're afraid of Alex Jones, plastic coffin, reset, new world order bullshit, that is your fucking problem. That is you giving them power. You and I would be way smarter to give up on all their psyops to include crypto and just start doing business with each other. And if you say, well, I don't know how to do it, then you've just outlined why it's done. 
okay? There's a point at which losing the ability to solve problems dooms complexity. If someone says, I don't understand this and I don't understand that, that means you depend upon magical people you think do understand. But what if I told you as a software engineer that even in the world of sciences and technology, a lot of people are fucking retards now and incompetent as fuck? What if I told you I podcasted about planes falling out of the sky because of shitty engineering before, you know, it started fucking happening? It's done. Okay, there's going to be no magical vote. There is no magical device. Whatever energy is built up in the system, the system, the historical system, if you want to think of it in terms of cosmology, whatever energy is built up in this causality temporal system, it's going to get released. It's, it's over. And when that happens, the world will be in a different place. And if this is connected with the end times, then it does mean we're either in or just about getting to the tribulation. I have a friend who believes that, you know, he believes in the version of interpretation that deals with the rapture. And I have to admit, I have to admit, um, with the research I've been able to do on my own, there is debate about the rapture, the rapture the rapture of the saints, the rapture of the people on earth, the, the people that have stayed true, the, the bodies that come up out of the ground, but as the kingdom body, basically. The rapture of the humans floating and becoming them kingdom selves with Jesus floating to heaven. I love the idea, and yeah, I do, based upon my limited knowledge, believe there's basis for it. And I also understand the agenda against it, because the problem is, well, yeah, the real problem is, is that once you start dealing in prophecy, you run the risk of calling every time the end times. Believe me, in the middle of the 14th century, a lot of people thought it was the end of the world, but it wasn't. Doesn't mean it wasn't from their perspective. It just was not the end, and it wasn't the end times. It was a bad time. It was a shitty time, and there have been a few of those in the history of the human race, but it wasn't the final end-all of end-all times. So just because things could get really crazy, and I think they're about to get crazier than most people are prepared for, doesn't mean it's the end, doesn't mean it's the end times, just means things are about to get crazy. I will make a bold claim. The world that is about to happen to everybody is a world that probably no one in your family tree has any understanding of going back at least 600 fucking, yeah, almost a millennium, 600 years, and that's best case scenario. If it's a 10,000 year event, it means, as I've said so many times before, at some point in the future, there'll be a book and there'll be a paragraph and all 7,000 years of our bullshit will be in one paragraph. That's what a 10,000 year event does. It, it wipes out almost everybody. It wipes out almost everything. It takes millennium for the human race to recover. And what we'll have from that time will be mostly oral history because we become so dependent upon complexity, we've forgotten that complexity always come, comes from simplicity and ultimately understanding. And if you don't understand how something works, you can't fix it. You can't make more of it. Well, the problem is we could be left with a lot of people who don't know how to fix anything. They know how to go to Walmart. They know how to throw things away. 
but we could be stuck with a lot of people that can't fix shit. That, that basically means a dark age, brothers and sisters. Assuming, you know, the worst case scenario where, yeah, I hope that doesn't happen. I've had some issues with pain, various kinds of physical pain. I've mentioned these to my primary care physician, Dr. Grunkus. He's recommended a complete organ replacement methodology with this Ukrainian. I've told you about this, that he wants me to go to the Motel 6 with, you know, about 12 bags of ice. Meet that Ukrainian late on a Saturday night. I, I opted out of that. I didn't want that surgery. To have all my organs removed and put on ice and sent to some place in Israel. To have the, the insides replaced with sawdust and broken glass and riprap and sand. To have it all sealed up with plastic and epoxy and form a gasket. I opted out of that. But that means I'm still dealing with my problems. I got various pains. Some are deep inside the spunctus. I've, just, I've determined that I may have a new type of illness. And, well, and I don't know if it's that new. I don't know. Maybe it's more of just my way of thinking about it that makes it feel new. But I may have discovered a new kind of illness, at least new to me. And I call it cancer beaties. Like I've been looking up some of the symptoms of bone cancer. And just an FYI, we've had some cancer in my family. I don't want to say if it's related to BRCA bullshit, because frankly, I think people get hoodwinked by correlation that is not causality. But that being said, we definitely had some cancer. And you know, a lot of families have cancer now, so I don't think it's special. I think it's probably environmental mostly. But that's just my opinion, you know. It's easier to say, well, it's all genetic, but it's like autism. Back in the 70s, I think autism had a had a occurrence of like one in, gosh, I think it was like one in 10 or one in 20,000. And now they expect one in two kids to be born autistic in a couple years. That's not genetics, brothers and sisters. Okay, it's not. That's environmental. That's probably shit that's coming from the sky. Probably aluminum, strontium, other materials being dropped on us. That's just my opinion and the research I've done. But you can, you can give a fuck about whatever you want to give a fuck about. If, if I actually had the money and the wherewithal, I would shoot one of those motherfuckers out of the sky at this point. Because at least then we could drive our little RVs and investigate the plane crash site and see that what the fuck is really going on. In fact, I had this paranoid thought to get off topic the other day that the reason why we were giving all the Stinger missiles to the Ukraine, the reason why we were dropping them on Zelensky's doorstep is because I think our own government was afraid that at some point some motherfucker was going to grab a Stinger missile and shoot down one of these insults, one of these planes that sprang. Huh. 
You never know, brothers and sisters, things are getting crazy. But yeah, I, I've determined that maybe I have, you know, some type of cancer, maybe bone cancer. But I've also determined from testing with beer and soda pop and other types of sugary things. And just so you know, beer doesn't have to be sugary. But here in Utah, uh, the beer you can go to the store and just buy it's it's a lower percentage percentage of alcohol, and I think what the brewers do is they just take the easy way out. They don't properly brew it, so you have you have kind of a weird alcohol beer syrup, and it's kind of gross, but definitely doesn't help with diabetes. But I, I I'm pretty certain I've got stage six or stage seven, type one or type two, maybe type twenty four. I drain my flintus pipe for that. I sometimes take a hot coal and shove it up my blimptus, and in order to receive total understanding, I will douse my legs in gasoline and set them on fire. Just to remember what it felt like to be alive. I have cancer beaties. Yeah, it's hyphenated, fuck you. Or you can call it can beaties, or I have a can of beets. Cancer is in my body, wrecking the place, holding late night parties, and not cleaning up. Diabetes is looking for cancer with a 357 Magnum and a pocket full of rage. Cancer formed a gang, a tumor gang. It's getting bigger in size. It's taking over Scompton on its way to Grinkin Avenue. Diabetes is poisoning water wells. That's pretty shitty, fucking diabetes. Diabetes is breeding wild dogs, breeding them, baby. Diabetes is tossing dynamite down my dunkel. That's right, I got a can of beets, baby. Cancer has all the knives. Diabetes has the poison. Cancer has all the biker gangs the West Side Hoolies, the Mayans. And the Hell's Angels. Diabetes controls the subways. Diabetes controls the sewer system. Diabetes can turn off your electricity any fucking time it wants to. Cancer built another army of tumors and 
Roglon 18, Cancer, oh my God, those bastards, they're swarming Uranus. And they're about to destroy Uranus. Diabetes built a bomber and a missile and a can of Mormon beer. Too many sugars, not enough fun. And heart disease. Cardiovascular disease, peripheral system failure, but specifically failures of the heart. Heart disease is out there riding a pale horse. Like Clint Eastwood. Like Clint Eastwood with a 44 Magnum. Cancer is out there on the high range, a high plains drifter too, but heart disease is riding hard and it's going to chase down cancer. Diabetes dug a hole, heart disease smoked a bowl, had a fun old time drinking whiskey by the fire. Heart disease can be heard in the distance as I go to sleep at night. I can hear it out there, riding a pale horse like Clint Eastwood with a 44 Magnum. It chance of instant death. It brings peace. I have cancer beaties. And as long as the stalemate lasts, then the most likely killer in this, the good, the bad, and the ugly will be the Clint Eastwood. It'll be some type of heart failure, some type of stroke. And you can say, well, Dan, why don't you go on the brand new medication? Why don't you go on the beta blocker? Why don't you go on those, you know, drugs that take all the fats out of your bloodstream because everything's bad? I'll tell you why, because I truly don't know that I have cancer beaties. I might just be feeling sore, you know? I might just be a little bit tired. I don't want to go to see a doctor because I don't trust them. I barely trusted doctors the last time I got a physical, which was 2013. Ask me after a couple years of monkey herpes, monkey pox, monkey crabs, COVID nonsense, wear a fucking coffee filter bullshit, how much I trust these fuckers, and the answer is I don't. I didn't trust them much before. I trust them even less now. So the reason why I don't go see a doctor is because as potentially whatever as my situation might be, I know with certainty that those fuckers suck. So I'll go with what, you know, might be versus the certainty of death. It's just how I feel. Next topic... I've got a pop quiz, and, and you may think I'm tricking you, um, but I'm not. If you were to ask yourself which politicians would be the most honest about the collapse of Arctic sea ice, would it be the Democrats or the Republicans? And it's kind of a trick question because I don't vote, and I don't believe there's a, a dime's worth of difference between any of those hookers. 
But I ask because usually it's like, oh, the Republicans hate the environment and the Democrats love the environment and the Republicans lie about the polar bear and the Democrats tell you the truth. Mm. Probably not that simple, though. So I'm going to read a quote. And this quote is from the year 2017. Steady reductions in sea ice are opening new passageways and new opportunities for trade. And the context of this quote, and I'm going to read the whole thing so it won't be out of context, is a speech that Mike Pompeo, uh, I believe former Secretary of the State, gave at the Arctic Council. And I think it was in, actually it was in 2019, I believe. We'll double check. Okay, so if you had read articles that year, speeches from Trump or a lot of GOP freaks, they might have said, oh, the polar bears are fine. There's never been more sea ice. But I'm going to read what Mike Pompeo has to say about all that shit. Is that fair? Is that okay? This is a speech he gave May the 6th, 2019. So it's not that fucking long ago. This is the speech Mike Pompeo gave to the Arctic Council May the 6th, 2019. Thank you, Ambassador. I know you're enjoying your time here tremendously. And you're doing an outstanding job. Yeah. It's great to look out here and see so many friends, too. Who'd have thought I could come this far north and know this many people? It's heartening me. I grew up in Southern California, about four minutes from Disneyland. <laughs> which claims to be the happiest place on earth by trademark, so you all have some work to do here. Get the trademark. <laughs> Thanks for being here. Thanks especially to Foreign Minister so Soini, Foreign Minister Thordeson, Mickelson, and Minister Beggar. I also understand we have Mayor Lotvonen here and lots of city leaders from this special place. I'm looking forward to, to my stay here. Thanks for your hospitality, too. I'm touched by your warm welcome. This is only the second time I've had the opportunity to visit Finland. But I really do feel, as I said earlier, that I'm among friends. The Finnish people have a tradition of hospitality for visiting Americans. I love the story of Eleanor Roosevelt and her visit to this city in 1950 to check on your post-war reconstruction progress. It was short notice, and the Finns wanted to place a special, <laughs> to place a special, had a special place for her arrival. So they had an architect design a cabin overnight and mobilize their best construction crew to build that place. Her plane touched down just as the outer door was being fitted in. The townspeople were ushered in and grand welcoming ceremony, and that cabin still stands today. So as you can see, we're, we've, we've been friends for an awfully long fucking time. In Finland, in the U.S., you have a pair of nations that are celebrating our 100th year of diplomatic relations. We have a lot to look back on, but also a great deal to look forward to. And I want to speak today about our future. <laughs> Not just about our bilateral future, but about our future in this region here in the Arctic, and what better place to do it for, for me to have the opportunity to participate in the Arctic Council. 
It's an honor to gather here this week with fellow members, the seven other nations in addition to the United States and the proud indigenous people. I'm not the first Secretary of State in recent memory to participate. Blah, 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 blah. I'm not going to read the whole stupid thing. But it gets interesting. It gets interesting, very interesting and now here we are, multiple generations later. Thank you for the speeches about Seward and, and, and buying land for 50 cents from a hooker. This is our time to appreciate it like never before. This is America's moment to stand up as an Arctic nation and for the Arctic's future. Because far from the barren backcountry that many thought it to be in Seward's time, because it basically was still cold and frozen, you dumb shit. The Arctic is at the forefront of opportunity and abundance. It houses 13% of the world's undiscovered oil, 30% of its undiscovered gas, and an abundance of uranium, rare earth metals, gold, diamonds, and millions of square miles of untapped resources, fisheries galore. Steady reductions in sea ice are opening new passageways and new opportunities for trade. I'm going to stop there. I don't want to read the rest of this because it makes me want to vomit. You can read the whole thing, but the bottom line is this is a Republican-selected Secretary of State basically telling you that the Arctic Sea is in collapse, that it's open for business, that the it'll be ice-free soon. And some of you may think that's a good idea, but keep in mind, you have to rename yourself a flat earther if you do. Like, I do think there's a cosmology under which the collapse of the Arctic is a good idea. But if you believe what you've been told about the last seven years, excuse me, 7,000 years of human civilization, if you believe what you've been told about the previous 10, 12,000 years uh, in the interglacial period, then you probably understand that until recently, the permafrost meant permanently frozen, and the Arctic was basically the Earth's air conditioner. The Arctic maintained the, the kind of atmospheric pumps and ocean pumps that would take warm water, cool it down, and then deliver it back to the system. It, it actually operated as a system of control to keep the climate mostly stable for the last 7,000 years. Yeah, there have been ups and there have been downs, but nothing too catastrophic. Nothing that really absolutely doomed human civilization. To the extent that we're able to remember that there were Sumerians, that there were people six, seven thousand years ago, to the extent that we still have history of those times, also goes to prove that despite the intermittent chaos in that model, it was mostly stable. And now, if you believe the scientists, and, and, and a lot of you, not all you listeners, you probably didn't, but a lot of fuckers in Seattle who would, who would you know, scream at me or give me a bad look because I didn't want to wear a coffee filter. A lot of these fuckers are very selective about the science they want to hear. But from what I've researched in the last four years and from what I've been able to glean and from what I've observed with my own eyes, it does seem that the Arctic serves a critical purpose. And according to Mike here, the Arctic is done as we know it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to be a different kind of place. I mean, here's the thing. The Arctic is going to switch from being a cooling system to a heating system. You're going to have a blue ocean event, which means that the dark materials in the Arctic Ocean will absorb uh, the sun's energy versus releasing it or, or rather reflecting it when it was covered with ice. So the albedo effect goes away. 
the um, the circular circular Hadrian pumps. I don't say this correctly, but the basically the global pumps that direct things like the Gulf Stream. The global oceanic pumps are going to shut down, and they'll no longer function the way they do now. We have no idea what human civilization would look like if the Arctic collapsed. And the reason why I'm beating this dead horse is because I'm so fucking tired of people thinking this is about politics. It's not. It also doesn't mean it's necessarily real. Everyone should do their own research. What I can tell you is a lot of the stuff I'm seeing looks weird. Looks weird is not scientific. It is anecdotal. It's personal. But a lot of the things I've seen in the environment, especially the last 10 years, look really strange and not healthy. Okay? When I was a kid this time of year, pretty much everybody's windshield on everyone's vehicle would be covered in insects. And it would be a thing you had to deal with spring to fall. The whole freaking summer long... One insect's hatching, then another, then another, based on their timeline. But the point is, you would have dead bugs on lots and lots of windshields. I'm not so much seeing that anymore. And that by itself doesn't prove anything, but to me, that's kind of creepy. If you believe what you're told about the pyramid of biological life on planet Earth, insects are absolutely critical. I mean, they do a lot of things like, for example, take out the trash. They help in the process of breaking down materials. Without insects, you could have a lot of stuff piling up that never ends up converting to a usable state again. Insects are critical. We know about bees. Bees help us to get things pollinated, which means they help us to, to grow food that involves flowering plants. And a lot of the food we grow involves flowering plants, and the bees haven't been doing so well. But beyond that, what can I tell you? All I can tell you is maybe Mike Pompeo's full of shit. That's why I tell all these Trumpsters to go fuck themselves. If, I'm not saying I like Biden. I'm an anarchist. I vote none of the above. But stop with this Trump bullshit. Trump didn't help you. Trump didn't protect you. Trump let the monkey herpes Fauci bullshit happen. Trump never put Hillary in jail. And Trump was totally about going into debt. That's how he built his businesses, going into debt. So for those of you like the babushkas, mamushkas of Russia, who after the Soviet Union fell, pulled out their pictures of Joseph Stalin and put them proudly on their walls, for those of you who are about to put Trump on your wall again, you should stop right there. Stop wasting the precious time you have left. Stop it. Nothing good will come of it. Okay, the best case scenario interpretation of what Mike Pompeo saying here is that he's full of shit. And it's one more reason why you need to stop supporting this bullshit. All of it. All the Ukraine nonsense, all the COVID nonsense, all the fear and all the destruction. Just live your life and do something else. And if it means breaking out their system and learning to fix things, I hate to break it to you, but you're probably going to have to learn to fix things or you're going to die. Someone in your tribe, in your family, will, know, will have to know how to fix things. I don't care if it's a health issue. I don't care if it's how are you going to purify the water. You better learn or you better have somebody around who knows. And, and if you like to be dependent, fine. But it's better to know the basics, right? But as, as a Christian, I'll tell you this. Many features of prophecy, as explained to me, many features, they match um, 
a methane feedback loop. You know, I had one dude trying to say, no, Dan, it, it matches a, a CME. The problem is a CME is a relatively brief event. Okay, it is. It's a relatively brief event. It's aftermath might last months or years if it's bad enough, but the coronal mass ejection, the giant solar flare from the sun is a relatively brief event. But the stuff in prophecy doesn't talk about that brief. Okay, there's going to be seven years of tribulation, as I understand it. And a really bad methane event would give you that. It would give you that. It would give you the horror. It would give you all of the horses plus others we may not even know about. It would give you everything about, you know, there would be no flesh left if it, if it, if it did not end. The point is, it gives you all of prophecy. It, it doesn't mean it's the answer. It just means that it's a pretty good fit. It's a pretty good fit. It has all the right pieces baked into it, including a lot of human hubris, which is usually good, good ingredient for, for stuff that happens to us. So it fits. But that does not prove anything. Next topic. Lake Mead. Okay, so let's talk about lakes and reservoirs, okay, really quick. Because a lake in the real world is not a cylinder, which means it's not a perfectly balanced cylinder. It, it doesn't have these walls that go straight up. Because a lake is basically some type of asymmetric bowl, it also implies that the higher you go up, the more storage you have, which means that as, as water levels drop, it's not just that they're dropping, but even if they drop at the same rate, they're gonna drop faster. Because as you go lower, there is, relative to what you lost, much less water per foot. Every foot is less volume. Again, it's not a cylinder, okay? It's, think of it like a V. Every foot you drop in the amount of water in that reservoir, if you maintain the same rate, the rate at which the feet drop will increase. The, the rate of water loss will be the same. It's just that the rate, <laughs> the amount you have left to lose is decreasing at an increasing rate. Maybe that's a better way of putting it. The amount of water in a lake or reservoir you're gonna lose um, is, co is constant, but the actual water level is going to you know, decrease at an increasing rate. And that's what's going on. And so when you think about Lake Mead, you can get really obsessed with the last few months and you can say to yourself, oh God, Look at how much it's dropped, but we're probably okay. You need to understand that probably the most of the damage has already been done. Like, I haven't done an estimate of the volume of Lake Mead, but my guess is a huge, huge, gigantic fucking proportion of water has already been lost. I don't want to go into why. You can blame the farmers. You can blame the environmentalists. You can blame people in Mexico. You can blame people all fucking day long. One of the things that people don't like talking about is the snowpack. If you want to have a good flow of water into the Colorado River, and, if you, and, and which feeds these reservoirs to include Lake Powell, Lake Mead, um, Flaming Gorge, you know, near where I live, you have to have good snowpack. And that's been missing. And, and we can have debates about why the snowpack is missing and why it doesn't seem to last more than a couple weeks in June. It's happening everywhere. When I was in Washington State the last couple years, you'd have a little bit of snowpack on the Cascades and it would be gone by July, pretty much. 
Yeah, Mount Rainier's keeping its snowpack, but I'll tell you something. I would I would I would uh, suggest people take core samples of whatever gunctus is being used to keep that going. But again, no one's going to do that. It's too late, too late, too late. Don't worry about it. If you want the Colorado River to consistently deliver water year-round, you, you need more than just monsoon rain. Monsoon rain's not going to help you, okay? You can tell me about the big monsoon rain you had, and that's great. But what maintains consistently the water throughout the year is the snowpack. If the snowpack and you went to mountains or the Cascades or the Rocky Mountains or the Appalachians or any of these other mountain chains, if the snowpack is not good enough, you're going to have, you know, exceptionally bad droughts. And, and that's where we're at in the game. That's where we're at with respect to Lake Mead. It's not really getting the consistent water because the Colorado is overtaxed and undersupported. Nobody wants to hear that. And, and, and I think also y'all need to keep this in mind. The government did this, all right? This was a program developed under Hoover, expanded under FDR, and it continued into the Johnson administration. I don't care if it's the Tennessee Valley Authority or the Bonneville Power you know, Administration. I don't care what balloon, crony government bullshit had control of every fucking dam that was built but this was done by government, is very fucking uncontroversial, all right? So when you say things like, well, how did we end up here? I would say you started in the wrong place to begin with, okay? You started with assuming that the feds could plan the history of the United States. Oh, the Southwest, which is a desert, will be a great agricultural zone. You know, for most of that history, right, nature had said no. Nature, you know, again, created by God, had said, no, no, this is a desert. This is not a, a great agricultural zone. If you want to build a tower in the sky, okay, and pretend you can turn this desert into something else, you go ahead and do it. But I get to have the, the last laugh, is what nature says. And ultimately is what the Lord says. You can play all the pretend you want to. You can build sandcastles. The Lord's okay with that. But just don't be shocked when the sandcastles are destroyed. There was a ton of conceit, hubris, and human failings baked into all of the dam projects, the damming projects, the irrigation projects of the 20th century. The assumption was is we knew better where the water should go. And if you believe Dane Wigginton, and I think he's, I think 50-50, if if the methane loop is a real concern, 50-50, 50% concern, I'd say Dane is at least 50-50. Maybe he's 70%. I don't know. I don't know him personally. He could be bullshit. I've met a lot of people in this world of the alternative journalism that have turned out to be total fucking bullshit. So he could be bullshit. He doesn't sound like it. He doesn't seem like it. You know, At this point, handing out flyers does not seem like a great strategy. But, you know, I, I can understand it fits with his philosophy, and that's fine. He thinks that's what we should be doing. But he does seem like an honest person. And he would tell you that with geoengineering, we're deciding where we think the water should go. We're controlling the flow of water. We're controlling the sources of precipitation. We're redirecting them to where most of the people in this country live. And we've been redirecting the cold that way, too. But like most human shit, to include the dams we build, at some time, especially if it's government, it's going to fail. 
I mean, what did Dr. Freckles once say? If, if you need government to solve a problem, then it's never going to be solved. So I don't know if having a dam or redirecting water was a real problem or not. I, I don't trust the historians who talk about flash floods because we still get that shit. So I don't know who's telling me the truth, but I do know this. If it's a problem worth solving, you do not want the government involved at all, ever. So that was the first fucking failure in the whole thing, is, is having them do it. Having them decide that huge swaths of this country that had formerly been desert should now grow food. And you say, well, Dan, it was good because it fed more people. Listen, feeding more people is neither good nor bad. There, you know, It's good to feed people, it's good to help people, but the idea that it is a net positive to simply decide that a desert should be farmland, I don't think that, that's, that it works that way, you know? Like I said, I think if the Lord had wanted us to farm in the desert, the deserts wouldn't be deserts. That's, that's my belief at this point, especially when it comes to the issue of water, which we all take for granted. I think people in Vegas, and it might not be this summer, it could be next summer, I thought it might be last summer, but the point is, pretty fucking soon the people of Vegas are going to know something. You don't take water for granted. You die of thirst in basically three days. Maybe three or four days, right? You know, you can be without electricity. You don't have to have it except for air conditioning, and that does help. And you can be without food for a few weeks. I mean, I've done it. People do it all the time. You know, you can probably starve yourself for a month and kind of still be okay, maybe longer. But you, you can't really go without water for more than a few days. Um, there was this guy uh, who I'd interviewed who loved to quote that, you know, some other dude had developed, which I know is like three degrees of separation from bullshit. But he said something like the history of civilization is the history of locking up food. But I kind of think that's a misdirect. I think that's bullshit. The history of civilization is the history of thinking you can control water. It really is, okay? You can talk about growing food all you want to, but the way that was allowed or possible was basically people engineering and controlling the flow of water. So on one basic level, controlling water is what cities, societies, civilizations have been all about. A knock-on effect is you get to grow a lot of food. A knock-on effect is that you can reduce the, the outbreaks of disease in your city by flushing stuff through sewers. That's a knock-on effect. But the fundamental issue is control the fucking water. And if there's no water, there's no city, there's no civilization, there's no society. You're not going to build much without water. It is not accidental that the great cities of, of early times were built around river estuaries, near the ocean, on a lake. They were built someplace where you had access to some kind of water and you definitely needed fresh water. So usually a river, a great river was the place where a, a civilization began. And so, yeah, I don't think it's about locking up food because that's a secondary issue. It's about locking up and controlling the water. Humans think they can control things they can't. I mean, you can believe you can control the water, and I think that's a nice belief. I'm of the opinion on Planet Boblim Talk that the Lord in Heaven ultimately controls the water. And that also implies that if they are geoengineering, 
and they are redirecting water uh, away from the west coast of the United States uh, in order to direct it towards the east coast to make most of the people happy to keep most of the boiling water reactors that are still functioning functioning if that's what they're doing it kind of makes sense i mean it's foolhardy it will end in tremendous pain and suffering and whatever we're going to face from the next big transition it will make it worse but for now it feels good it feels great you know a little bit of heroin a little bit of oxycontin people can have a snowy christmas just don't eat the fucking snow don't eat the snow don't probably shouldn't even eat the food now it's like R.J. McCready says, we should be eating out of cans, and the can should say, this was canned in the year 1907, Boblintok. And you can say, well, Dan, I won't eat a hundred-year-old can of food. Not yet, though, right? I heard once they had 100-year-old cans of food in Antarctica at these various polar outposts in Antarctica. They had buried cans of food in the ice like 100, 100 years ago. They pull out a can of beans and the beans are okay. I heard about this Russian guy about 100 years ago. You remember when the permafrost was permanently frozen still? They found a woolly mammoth. It was frozen, frozen in that permafrost. They cut a piece of that woolly mammoth off. This is 12,000 year old meat. They put it on the barbecue. They ate some of it. I mean, this might never have happened, but this is a story I read once about these Russian researchers, you know, in Siberia, digging up an old, an old mastodon, an old woolly mammoth. Now today, it seems like the permafrost is going away. So whatever meat is there, it's decaying rapidly and probably filled with all the ancient worms and crabs and herpes. So no, I probably wouldn't want to get Stone Age herpes. But if you're interested in Stone Age herpes, there's still time. You can get into the slime, take a bath in the bronctus with the decaying mastodon, and get your ancient ass Stone Age worm herpes half off. Every Friday is girls' night. I included a video link about Lake Mead. You know, one of the funny things about the Lake Mead drying up are these bodies they're finding. And I'm of the mind that this is a lot like in that movie Goodfellas. You know where they buried that dude at the, that piece of property and then they decided to make a condo. So you got to get back there and dig up the body. I, I, I bet a lot of Goodfellas in the last couple years have been sent on little missions and scuba gear to go get stuff. That would be my guess. Like, if they had any idea they dropped the wrong guy in the wrong part of Lake Mead and that within a year or two, holy crap, they're going to find the barrel, they'll find the bones, I wouldn't be surprised. And also, there's so much gumptus at the bottom of these um, lakes and reservoirs, 
that there could be even many more bodies. They're just sort of sunken into the gunctus. You'd have to actually get some real crews out there, you know, some proper sounding gear, you know, that sonar equipment, and see what kind of crazy shit is still out there. I bet there's a bunch of bodies in Lake Mead. Bunch of dead bodies out there. There's also a lot of boats, too. And you can't take them. They'll arrest you. They'll arrest you for taking those boats. It's the government's boats now. Next topic. I'm going to read an article from... Zero Hedge. This is an article from Zero Hedge magazine, and it's from a couple days ago, Friday, June the 17th, because today is the 19th, right? I know I said seven, not 7,000. I'm a little bit schlumptified. Probably my cancer beaties. It's gotten to the brain, gotten to the brain stem. I'm okay. Headline, deflationary tsunami on deck. A quote-unquote tidal wave of discounts and crashing prices. Nom de plume, Tyler Durden. Three weeks ago, we showed readers what happens when the infamous bullwhip effect reversal takes place by presenting the unprecedented surge in the inventory-to-sales ratio for a broad range of U.S. retailers covering the furniture, home furnishings, and appliances building materials and garden equipment, and a category known as other general merchandise, which means some type of Chinese crap, which includes Walmart and Target. Since then, this ratio has only gotten even more extended, and as shown below, it is now the highest level since the bursting of the dot-com bubble. What does this mean for for retailers and the price of goods? Not what you think, Tyler. Three weeks ago, we said, think, widespread inventory liquidations, and added, to be sure, not every product will see its price cut, commodities whose bullwhip effect take much longer to manifest itself, usually lasting several years in either direction, are only just starting to see their price cycle higher. However, other products, like those carried by the Walmarts and the Targets of the world, are about to see a deflationary plunge, the likes of which we have not seen since the global financial crisis as retailers commence a voluntary destocking wave, the likes of which have not been seen over a decade. Oh my God, all kinds of free TV sets free plastic shit, free plastic bowls with cancer shit in them, all kinds of free plastic cancer shit. Isn't that a good news story? Today, both Wall Street and the mainstream media, I'm not going to read the rest of this shit because it's too fucking stupid. I'm going to keep it simple, and I would have hoped that Tyler could have kept it simple too. You need food, water, shelter, and you need clean air. Those are the things you need. You don't need health care. It's nice to have a dentist. It's nice to have a doctor. But you don't actually need a dentist or a doctor. You don't need a hospital. There are a lot of things you don't need. But you need food. You need water. You need shelter. You need air. And ideally, all those things are not toxic or radioactive. You might want a big screen TV. You, want, you might want a new Tesla. Or, or is there iPhone 12 or 13? I don't care. I don't, I don't have an iPhone. I have a flip phone. You might want the new iPhone. 
Or maybe some watch you wear on your wrist that tells you when to poop. But you don't actually fucking need it. You don't. You don't need it. It's something that a lot of people don't understand, and it's why you can read an article like this from Zero Hedge, and if you understand economics, you can just shake your head and say, what the fuck are you smoking? I have no doubt that Target and Walmart and all kinds of schlim-schlam places have all kinds of plastic schlum to bump And I have no doubt that they'll have it for sale long after people don't have two dimes to rub the fucking together at all. Okay? They don't have any money. So yeah, obviously, the, the value of an item that cannot be sold is zero. And that is the ultimate discount. Guess what? That also applies to most of the overinflation in the housing sector. You need shelter, okay? You do not need a $1 million home in San Francisco or Seattle. You don't. You need shelter, but you don't need that. And people will learn that soon enough. You need shelter. You don't need a bank. You don't need a, a bank that says it, own, it owns that old shitty home that you're currently squatting in. And that bank won't be able to enforce shit once things really go sideways. So how can I put this? You need shelter, but all of that excess wealth you think is in the housing industry, whatever you think it is, you don't need it. It doesn't exist. That value equals zero. And when it comes right down to it, you need shelter. It doesn't have to be much, but you certainly need water and food more than shelter. And so if you live someplace where, for example, there really isn't enough water for the people there, like, I don't know, Vegas, then you're going to find out that your shelter's probably not worth shit. It isn't. I mean, people might squat it because shelter's still shelter. But if you're thinking to yourself, I have a half a million dollar home, I have a mil... If you think you have a million dollar home in Vegas and you don't own any money on it, which means you could put it on the market tomorrow, you should do that. You should have done that last year. You, you, if you believe you can still get a million bucks for it, you should do it right now. And if you think you're going to ride this out to the other side of the rainbow, because Zero Hedge says that TV sets are going to get really cheap because somehow, magically, we're heading towards deflation. No, we're not heading towards inflation or deflation or hyperinflation or stagflation. We're heading towards simply nothing being there. You know, call it shortflation if you want to. But there isn't going to be anything there. And no amount of you shelling out money will change that. For example, there will come a time, probably pretty soon, maybe in the next couple of years, where no amount of money you think you have is going to get you a cardiac surgeon. Now, today, there's still insurance and people still pay insurance. I worked in that fucking evil-ass industry of healthcare. From what I can tell, the monkey herpes gave them a boost, so they're still operating. But there's going to come a time where you would have said to yourself, well, I can always get a heart stint, and I can always get that new fantastic surgery where they, they freeze your heart or you, they freeze you for a couple days and they allow your heart to heal. All that shit, all that Star Trek bullshit is almost gone. And we don't know when it will come back. It might come back in a generation. Wouldn't that be a blessing from God? And if these are the end times, it's never coming back. I mean, the kingdom world, I don't think we're going to need any of that shit. But who the fuck knows, right? I don't even know if I'm going to make it there. 
But what I do know is that if I look at this rationally and pretend I'm an atheist for a moment, there's going to come a time in the next few years where these things you think are guaranteed, you're going to find out that you don't even, there is no amount of money to make it happen because it doesn't even exist. You don't even have the resources to make something happen that can no longer happen. All these highways and roads are going to start falling apart. Give them one, give them two years, and they will start falling apart without any road repair. Road repair. And no amount of money in a few years is going to allow that to change. You can have all the printed money from, from the Federal Reserve. You can have Bitcoin. And I would even say you could have gold and silver. And there is no amount of wealth that is going to change that. These highways will fall apart. It is inevitable. There are things that are going to happen just because that's the point in the game we're at. Okay? That's the other side of the mountain. Now's a good time to know the difference between the things you need and the things you want. As the situation gets worse, people will not be buying the things they want. They might want a new set of clothes. They might want a new sofa. They might want a new microwave oven. But they won't have the fucking money for it. They have to focus on the things they need. They need fuel to get to work because they still need money to buy food and water and basic shelter. And if they have anything left over after that, maybe they buy the Netflix account. Maybe they buy the Amazon shit. Maybe they go to Target if it's still open or being run by a robot. Now is a really good time in terms of understanding your personal economics to know the difference between the word need and the word want. Because that's going to drive the economics. It's not about deflation and inflation. All that story is behind us. We already had that. It's over. What's coming next is noflation. Or rather, nothing. You will get nothing. And no amount of Fed bucks will change that. What are coming are shortages. A lot of shortages. And so it's really great that Zero Hedge is telling you, you you'll still be able to get your HDTV. What's coming is a situation where you'll get an HDTV and there'll just be no electricity. What's coming is a situation where you'll get the computer, but there'll be no internet. What's coming is a situation where there'll be piles of shit that nobody can use because nobody can fix it. There's nothing to plug it into. It's over. Need versus want. That's, that's an important distinction. Imagine if people understood that for the last 60, 70, 80, 100 years. Imagine when they were building all the fucking dams, deciding where the water should go. Imagine when they decided to plan geoengineering without talking to us and poison us and give us all Alzheimer's. Imagine if they knew the fucking difference between need versus want. Imagine when they were testing the 2,000 nuclear weapons above ground, in the South Pacific, in the desert. Imagine if those stupid motherfuckers knew the difference between need and want. You might want to test 2,000 nuclear weapons, but you might not need to. Everyone, everybody is about to get a real fucking lesson in that bullshit. And I don't mean bullshit as in not true. I mean, very soon, that pain is going to hit a lot of people in the face. Zero Hedge 
is not ahead in any other sense, but they're telling people what they should tell people in a more accurate way. Right now, stuff you don't need is getting cheaper. You know, stuff that you want, not stuff you need. Stuff you want is getting cheaper. Stuff you need is getting more expensive. And that story's not going to change and all that, well, it takes longer with commodities. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I kind of have to think Zero Hedge is filled with Keynesians and Paul Krugman types at this point because they believe printing money makes shit appear. I don't care it takes a wheelbarrow. You still believe having a wheelbarrow the money will make food appear. And what I'm telling you is when this thing shuts down, it's going to be jarringly fast. And then, if you don't know the difference between need and want at that point, you are royally fucked. Next topic. Here's a quote from Dr. Freckles. Poison the land. Poison the water. Poison the air. You poison yourself. That should be common sense. I mean, but for need versus want people who want to dam up rivers and and spray the clouds with aluminum, it might not make any sense. Um, this isn't Eden. If you're a Christian out there and you and you've been hoodwinked by the abiotic oil primary water uh, gurus who tell you that the earth is filled with infinite resources, we just have to drill down. This is not Eden. Eden probably had all that shit, everything you could imagine, and you never needed a cardiologist, and you didn't worry about cancer beaties, okay? This is not fucking Eden. This is not the kingdom. This is not heaven. I say this in almost every podcast now for a fucking reason, because I don't think people get it. It's like the need versus want thing, okay? That's why there's going to be piles of shit at Walmart that will just sit there and get moldy. Because ultimately, people won't have the fucking fuel to go pick it up. But, you know, there are people, a lot of people, a lot of folks all over the world today, a lot of people in the United States who believe that we can pollute and destroy nature as much as we want to, and there are no consequences. It's like Fukushima. It had no consequences. It was probably a triple meltdown. There's probably small amounts of corium, which means stuff from the core, the molten core, in just about every person living in the Northern Hemisphere at this point. There's probably unimaginable amounts of pollution in the deep basins of the North Pacific at this point. And God knows what that's doing to the crab. Um... But there are a lot of people who think you can just do that. You can set off 2,000 nukes, you can dam up every river, and you can have a triple meltdown and there are no consequences. And what I'm going to propose is that this is not fucking Eden. This is not a utopia. You don't get to fucking piss and pull and poop, you know, in every freaking place all the time and not have consequences. You don't get to stack humans onto a river estuary and then expect the salmon to be okay. Why are the salmon having problems? I don't know. You stacked a million people onto that ecosystem that were never there before and you never thought about it. You just assumed it was all okay because somebody else will fix it. You just, if it, you know, it's kind of like the shit you buy at Walmart, the, the shitty Chinese crap you buy. If it melts, if it falls apart, it's so cheap, you just throw it away and go get another one. How do you do that with an estuary? How do you do that with a wetland? How the fuck do you do that with an ocean? That's the problem. 
This all works up until that point. And then all of a sudden you have to start saying, well, maybe I can go to Walmart and get a new ocean. Maybe I go to Walmart and get a brand new fancy kind of lake or river. Maybe they'll have a plastic salmon fish mutated by some motherfucker in Up the Blimp Talk, and, and it'll fucking probably eat brains and kill little puppies, but maybe I can plant that in the fucking water and see what it does. A, a lot of people believe, especially in the United States, and this isn't about being a Republican or Democrat, this is true across all the various stripes of bullshit. A lot of folks believe you can poison the rivers and poison the seas and poison the oceans and poison the air and it's all okay. It'll all be magically fixed. I will tell you this. The Lord in heaven can make anything happen. That doesn't mean the Lord in heaven will make anything happen. Okay, You can pray and say, dear Lord, help us with the oceans, help us with the rivers, and I think we should. But I also think we need to start remembering where we are. And we need to read our Bible and understand this is a place of consequences. This is a place where if you do stupid shit, you win stupid fucking prizes. Here's another quote from Dr. Freckles. Voting is asking someone else to beat up your neighbor, Dr. Freckles. Yeah, I beat up on the voting and democracy a lot, but mainly from the perspective of, you, you, don't be stupid, it doesn't work. I mean, the wires aren't connected. So even if you think pushing that button makes sense, the button doesn't do anything. But let's assume the button did something. Let's assume in this really crooked kind of Milgram experiment where you get to go into a box and pick some way you're going to terrorize random people you think you'll never fucking know. Let's assume it works that way. Voting does amount to basically asking someone else to beat up your neighbor. Okay? Someone else to, to enforce the law, like Judge Dredd. Someone else to be the heavy. You don't have to show any ethical awareness. You don't have to show any moral courage. You don't even have to give a fuck about your community. You just keep on voting and paying your fucking taxes and assume someone else is taking care of it. That was never going to work. Outsourcing moral principle to people without principles was never going to work. You might be a good person. And you might vote for something that conceptually is a good thing. For example, you might vote for a program that would go further than what the EPA does, which is hand out flyers to people who are, you know, fishing on the Duwamish in Seattle. You might say, let's fix the Duwamish. Let's actually do something. Don't hand out a flyer telling people you might get cancer beaties. You know, why don't we clean it up so nobody gets the cancer beaties? Wouldn't that be nice? So you might want to do that, and therefore you're going to vote for it. What I would contend is you would be more successful if you organize people voluntarily on your own. You would be more successful if, if you sought out voluntary capital, which means money raised but not through taxes on your own. You would end up potentially helping if, as long as you chose to do so in a way that was not coercive. The problem with voting for it, even if it's a good idea, you guarantee it's going to fail. You guarantee that the worst motherfuckers you can possibly imagine will be in charge of cleaning up the Duwamish. And the most likely outcome is it ends up worse than the way they found it. Voting 
is asking somebody, some motherfucker, some stranger to terrorize people in your community and then to have the secrecy that you didn't do anything. I didn't do it. Voting is cowardly. Voting is extremely cowardly and voting is bullshit. So I tell you what about your voting. It doesn't work. And even if it did work, you would still be in the same shithead situation. Really. Before I go, I want to talk about something else really quick. I am lucky enough to live with some people who are pretty decent people. Um, they're ordinary people. They get by. They make enough money to pay for food, water, and shelter. But they're also very kind and very generous. And one of the things they've done is they've tried to adopt stray dogs in recent years that just end up stray. How did they end up stray? Ask Uncle Dan why he never bought a dog. After my divorce, I had people, Dan, you should buy a dog. And I said, I don't know that I can take care of a dog. And I got a weird look from people. Because maybe for some of these people, a dog was like a dam, like a river, like an estuary, like some plastic shit, Chinese shit you'd buy at Walmart. It was a throwaway thing. A dog, to me, at that point, even with, the, with as little experience as I had with dogs at that point, was not a piece of garbage. It wasn't Descartes' little clock. The dogs I've come to know here in the last year, it, it goes beyond that. Are they going to be writing great operas? Are they going to be doing my computer programming for me in my new job? I mean, I'd like to trick Boomer into just sitting there wearing a little headset, maybe for something funny. But no, Boomer's not going to be writing my code. Okay, uh, Bailey's probably not going to be performing heart surgery. Kia is not likely to run for mayor. Well, she might run for mayor and she might get elected, but that goes back into the voting column. Um, and these are the names of dogs that live here. You know, little Shaggy spends too much Shagadelic time. He's still got his testicles. And Thrasher has 20 times the courage for his size. And they all have their own personalities. And they're not people. Okay, if I had to make, oh, but Dan, what if you had to choose? I would choose a person. Yes, I would. It doesn't make me evil, although, frankly, it depends on the person. For example, if you had Bill Gates sitting in front of me and you had any of these dogs that lived here and they said, Bill Gates will die unless one of these dogs dies, I'm sorry, I'm going to go take the dogs for a walk and Bill can just drift away. I don't give a fuck. So, so I, I will tell you, there are people... I would probably protect my dogs over those people. There are some shitty people that exist. And there might even be one or two people I've known personally that I just truly would not sacrifice a dog for, especially one I cared about. But not even a random one. Today I was out walking the dogs and there were some dogs that were just out there running about. And they might have had homes. I think one or two, I, I, think, I think they had a home. They were just off the leash. They were out of the fence. And it's hard to walk Boomer because he wants to interact. The problem is, is he's like 100% muscle. And so if he wants to do something, you really struggle against it. Um, he does not care. His neck, <laughs> he works on his neck. So it doesn't matter that he has a collar. You can say, well, you could have a choke collar. No, that would just mean Boomer gets a better workout. He just, that's his focus. And now I understand why. It's his neck focus. His, the neck and the teeth and the jaws for him, you know. So it was hard, but one of the things that I was thinking about is that these dogs, they might have just been abandoned. 
And I wish I could tell you that's going to get easier, but it's not. Um, I don't know where you live. I, I don't know. I have some friends in Seattle still, and I hope to talk to one and maybe do a podcast with one tomorrow night. And I might ask him, maybe that's not an issue in Seattle yet. Maybe they're really good at collecting the strays and putting them into the taco meat, you know, or taking them to Chinatown. Racist or not. It's protein, right? But I believe that things are going to get difficult enough that a lot of people will abandon their dogs. I think they're already doing it. Um, it is more heartbreaking when a child is abandoned, especially because I've read stories about babies being abandoned in dumpsters. And you read a story like that and you think the world is a cold, dead place. And then my friend Mike from Seattle will remind me that if you really read um, the good book and specifically the Old Testament from the right context, you'll understand that people throughout history have done incredibly cruel things just to survive. It's not maybe about them being as bad as you think they are, but it is in part about the situation being pretty bad. And a lot of people think they're ready for something. But I don't know. Imagine you lived in, in Leningrad, formerly St. Petersburg, now St. Petersburg again. Imagine you lived in Leningrad during 1942 and 1943. Imagine you lived in Leningrad during the worst parts of that local famine, no food at all, okay? Imagine you lived there and you had to make the basic choices and you were a parent, you had kids, and you had to keep them alive. What would you do? Would you ask a lot of questions about what's in the, what's in the borscht, would you? Would you spend a lot of time with, with comrade, you know, comrade in charge and say, dear comrade, what's in the borscht? Or would you just feed your family and try not to ask those questions? What I am saying is that for a lot of dogs and cats and pets, because people have become in a lot of ways more cruel than we can imagine, because they don't understand their ethics, they don't understand right and wrong, they've been outsourcing their conscience to the government my whole life, because you have a lot of people like that, they just assume toss their dog into the street. And what I would say as I end this podcast, and I've ended a few recently, is think about the situation for your pet, especially if you have the resources to prep. If you have the resources to prep for your family, for your, your daughter, your son, your wife, your husband, if you have the resources to build up those tools you think you're going to need, and, and none of it will be enough, then at least put some effort into thinking about your pet. Okay? And if you're at a point where you can't afford to take care of your pet, I can understand that. I can. I know that, that people's lives are being turned upside down. But remember the fact that, and I hope this is true, that you love your pet, that you do love your pet. It's not just a status symbol that you love your dog or your cat and that there might be somebody out there who will help you. That there, don't let pride get in the way of your love. I guess that's how I would put it. If you feel like you have too much pride to ask for help and you'd rather just take your dog or your cat into the middle of the woods and let it go, don't have pride over love. Okay? Pride can take the second seat to love. It is better to show love and allow that pet a chance to survive than to simply dump it and then maybe the local pound or whatever 
you know, animal control picks it up and maybe your dog or your cat gets a couple more weeks before they put it to sleep. What I would ask, if you can think about it, is remember that your pride should not exceed your love. We all have pride. I got a shit ton of pride. I just try to keep it behind my love. And that's just some advice on Sunday, January the 19th, 2022, Bob Limtok. And yeah, if you've got money and you've taken care of your food, your water, your shelter, your cocaine, your hookers, your rocket ship, if you live in a bunker someplace in Montana and now you're even beyond normal hookers, you have robot hookers, robot hentai, uh, tentacle porn style Japanese Autobot style hookers. If you have everything taken care of and more than you can imagine and you still have some gold or silver or money left over, you can go to the link for PayPal. That's PayPal for me. I'll have a link in there to Dr. Freckles PayPal and you can donate as much money or as little as you want to to include the amount that equals zero. And if you've already donated multiple times in recent months, God bless you. Um, many of you are just way too generous to this old freak. But, you know, if you're a new listener and you got five bucks or whatever, or 20 bucks and you want to donate, it'll bring this old hobo a smile. And in a couple weeks, I start my new job with a new computer system and a fantastic sort of technology. And chances are it's all just going to be fine, right? And I'll make a bazillion dollars and I'll buy, I'll buy a yacht, a space yacht. I'll buy a space yacht and I'll travel between the several systems. And then eventually I'll get space herpes and that won't be so cool. I'll have to settle down on the moon someplace. Far away from people, I'll be chased. I'll be hunted because of my space herpes. I'll be shunned because of my outer space crabs. have a great rest of your Sunday.